0: Good morning and what a privilege to be with you to share God's word with you here on this Sunday morning. Um, If you have your Bibles you can go to Hebrews chapter 3 and then eventually we're going to make our way to Hebrews chapter 33 and 34. Um, Our series is entitled Awe and before we get into that maybe a little bit of background usually when a church is launching in September the the pastor, the lead pastor is gonna talk a little bit about the vision and the mission of the church because I think it's really a good idea to know where is your church headed? What is the destination? In organizational language, we call that vision. And it's good to know like how are we going to get there? In organizational language, that's called mission. And these are important. When it comes to vision, it fuels us with purpose. For example, it can make a great difference to your kids If you tell them to hop in the car and we're going to be driving for 24 hours. Well, that's one thing. It's a completely different thing if you give them some vision and you tell them, we are going to go to Disneyland and it's going to take us 24 hours to get there. So just the idea of knowing where we're going and that's a desirable destination fuels us with purpose and it changes our mindset. When it comes to mission, well, that informs, it gives clarity to our actions. Makes a big difference if we are going to get to our destination by foot, if we're going to walk, if we're going to run, or if we're going to cycle, or if we're going to get into a vehicle and drive there, or if we're going to get on a plane and fly there. So mission informs, in the big picture, how are we going to get there? And it's important that there's clarity around those things. For example, if you have a car, it's a high-performance car, no matter how much potential you have under the hood, When you hit fog and things aren't clear, you have to slow right down and and you simply cannot allow your vehicle to function at anywhere near close to its capacity. So as a leader and as our leaders in the church, one of our responsibilities is to try to keep our vision clear, keep reminding us of that, and so we will do that. Sometimes it may seem like ad nauseum to you. Nevertheless, we feel it's important so that we know where we are going. At Central Heights, our vision statement is simply this. We desire, we want to be a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, uh, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and for the flourishing of our city and the world. And how we are going to get there? We said in general terms, our mission is that we're going to engage, we're going to equip, and we are going to empower people to follow Jesus. It's very much a discipleship paradigm. And when we think about our vision this morning and over the next few weeks, I think what we'll be doing as we, as we keep walking through Exodus 33 and, and now especially chapter 34, we're going to find that what we, what we dive deep into in Exodus 34 is going to hit on a real heart of our vision statement, and that is the glory of God, that all that we are about uh, developing healthy churches, more and growing followers of Jesus and the flourishing of our city and our world. All of that is for this, for the glory of God. And this morning, as we look at the, the text that we're looking at, I think we will see that when we are in awe of God, uh, we, we experience his glory and we want to point people to that glory. That's simply what happens. I'd like to begin this morning with a word of prayer to that end. God, I thank you that you are awesome, and we were able to sing about that, Lord, and yet in some ways, our natural mind has difficulty comprehending, and I am praying this morning that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our heart. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us, Lord, to have a greater glimpse of just the magnitude of who you are, your glory, Lord, and that it would transform us, and cause us to desire to live for you uh, in a way that brings you more glory. I pray that you would uh, speak through me. May I in no way, Lord, be a, a barrier to what you want to say, Lord, but I pray that I just be a conduit of the message of your Holy Spirit today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Every summer, it seems without fail, Even though I try and talk myself out of it, though I live in Abbotsford, I find myself going to Vancouver for one of the three or four events called the Celebration of Lights. There's something about the fireworks that just grabs my attention. And as I think about it, as I get close to the day, I wanna be there. And it can be a great inconvenience, you know, a lot of expenditure of time. You gotta drive all the way into the city. You have to get there early to get a good place. But I find myself doing it and I see that I'm not alone. There's like hundreds of thousands of other people, especially on the Saturdays, that have the the same desire, the same yearning to get to a place to watch and to see these fireworks explode over the beautiful uh, Vancouver skyline and uh, just watch them in the air and experience that extravaganza, which sometimes is really quite spectacular. It, 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 it makes me think that we are wired for that. We are wired for spectacular. We are wired for awe. We have that yearning and that desire, and we don't want to miss out on it. And so I will expend time and energy to get to that place where I can get just a little bit of taste of that once again. As we dive into God's word this morning, I think we're going we're gonna to see that we experience awe in a different way. Uh, It won't necessarily be with the the eyesight of our natural eyes. Like last weekend, we talked about the incredible thunder and lightning storm. It's not going to be experiencing awe in that way. It's going to be experiencing awe by simply this, looking at the name of God. And as we look at Scripture this morning, it's conveying to us that God's name in itself reveals his awesomeness. It shows us that God is. Is awe now I want to ask you the question so what is God's name and some of you might be thinking well that's a dumb question God's name is God right and that's not very awesome like God like okay is it is that God's name might be important to think a little more deeply on what is God's name the name is important The name's important in our lives, Uh, I think of all kinds of different scenarios in which the name of somebody has meaning. So a man sees an attractive uh, girl across the room, he's at a uh, dessert uh, parfait place and uh, he doesn't know who she is, but she smiles at him. There's some attraction, it appears. And, uh, you know, so he uh, he's in a conversation, though, and he looks over every once in a while. He sees her, and he's thinking about, you know, as he's starting to get butterflies, and he's thinking about going over and talking to her. And But before he does, and he's not looking, all of a sudden she's gone. She's slipped away. So he asks around, like, who was that girl? What What is her name? The couple finds out they've... They're going to have a baby, like a baby, ah, they're going to have a baby, and it's going to be their first, and so not long after that begins probably one of many conversations, like if, if it's a boy or if it's a girl, what is going to be the child's name? Or you're, you're at a, a place, a, a store that you don't usually frequent, but you go there, they have exactly what you've been looking for, and so you're going to make a purchase at the store that's out of your area. You don't regularly go there or shop there, but as you've got your item and you're going to pay for it, you get up to the till, there's a really smiley, welcoming young man there who's going to ring your item in on the till. And before he does, he asks you, what is your name? Now, you say no, uh, politely, of course, because you're Canadian. You say no, because you know what could go with that. He wants your name, then he wants your email. And what does that mean? That means they want to establish some kind of a relationship because they have your name, even if it's just a consumer, you know, uh, type of relationship. You'd rather remain anonymous. What's in a name? Some of you know that I go by my middle name. And uh, I mean, legend has it, this is how it occurred. Uh, In grade one, I went to school and the teacher was calling out the role of of kids' names. And as legend would have it, as they called my name, all the kids started snickering and laughing. And uh, from that moment on, I did not want to be called by that name. Is that how it actually happened? I, I can't say for sure. That's the legend. Uh, maybe it was uh, the way the teacher pronounced it, but, but traumatic. And so I, I find every time uh, someone brings up that name, it, it produces a little bit of angst inside of me. I don't like that name. And then every once in a while, I get a phone call from somebody or I get a, an unasked-for letter in the mail and it has that name on it. And I know that Those people don't know me. There's no relationship because they don't know the name. They don't know what the name is to call me by. What's in a name? Well, for us today, a name uh, really is a lot about identity and, as you can see, maybe relationship. In Old Testament times, in Biblical times, New Testament times, the name could mean even more than that. It could have something to do about the character of a person. It could have something to do about their destiny. And when it comes to God, it it has something to do about that character, nature. The name reveals his glory. So what is his name? As we look in a timeline of where we stand today as uh, people who live in this century, and we live post-Jesus, you can see we live after the cross in a timeline. You can see one day we're going to live in an age where there's a new heaven and new earth. But today as we dive into Exodus chapter 3 and 33 and 34, we're reminded that this is where we're looking. We're looking after the time of Adam, after the time of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and we're looking at the time of Moses. And it's at this time of Moses that God reveals to a man that he's calling something very significant about his name. So we pick it up in Exodus chapter three in verse one. It says, "Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. He came to Horeb. It was the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So, you know, uh, Moses has been in the desert lots. He's walked around lots as he's taking care of sheep. And here on this occasion, he sees a bush. It's on fire. Maybe that wasn't all that unusual, but what was unusual, this bush is on fire, but it's like not burning up. And so as Moses is there, God says, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. And it begins a conversation with Moses that God is calling him to be the deliverer of God's people, Israel, whom God has heard their cry for help as they've been bondage for 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Moses is reluctant about this. He says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt like Who am I? But God has an answer for him. And before we get into that answer, let me just say what what is spoken here in the original language is Hebrew. It's translated into English for us. But how it comes out in Hebrew is actually quite important. Uh, We don't usually dive into the original languages. But today, just to do that a little bit, uh, I've studied a little bit of Hebrew. But just enough, really, to be reckless and dangerous. So I'm I'm depending on people who are scholars in this area. But when Moses says to God, you know, find, like, who am I? God's reply to him is this in Hebrew Echwe Imak. Echwe Imak. You know, you may be wondering what that means. It simply means, I am or I will be. Imak is with you. Echwe, I am or I will be with you. In other words, uh, I am going to be present with you at all times. God assures Moses not that Moses has the goods for what it takes to be the deliverer, not that. Well, come on, Moses, you were educated in Egypt, you know, years ago, so you're really smart. You should be able to figure this out. People are going to recognize your intellectual genius. God God doesn't go anywhere according to the abilities and capabilities that Moses might have. He simply says to him, the difference maker will simply be this. I am or I will be with you. Well, Moses hears that and thinks, well, I'm not sure if that's good enough. And so he continues to resist this call of God on his life. See, Moses can see that if he, um, if he goes to the people of Israel and tells them that God is sending him, like he expects there to be resistance to that call. Now, in, in, in the places where you live today, amongst your friends and neighbors, the, the people that you work with, chances are You don't rub shoulders with too many people that believe in God, unless you're working for like a Christian or religious organization. But many of the people that you work with or go to school with don't believe that God exists. Some of them might believe that this Christian thing is a myth or it's a crutch for some people that, you know, they just need God because they can't do life on their own, but it makes no sense. And so what you see is what you get. The only reality that truly is is what's in front of you and that can be explained from a natural perspective. In many of the places uh, in this world, it's not that way. And in Moses' day in Egypt, it was not that way. You see, people believed in gods. Everybody believed in God. If you didn't believe in in gods, you would be like an anomaly. You would would stand out as weird or, or different. Everybody believed in gods. There were many gods. And Israel, having lived in bondage for 400 years and immersed in this kind of culture, many of them had taken on the worship of many different gods. And Moses can see as he's, as he's going to go to them and, and say that he's been sent by God, he can, he can anticipate their resistance that they are going to say to him, What God? 400 years of slavery? Where has God been? So Moses says to God, what am I going to say to them? What shall I say to them? And God says to him uh, something very important. And again, we go back to the Hebrew. He says, tell them, God says in verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am that I am. This is the personal name of God. And God is revealing himself to Moses in this way. I am that I am. Some translators translate it, I will be whom I will be. Now when you look at it in the, in the original Hebrew, it's ehweh esher ehweh. I am what I am. Or I will be what I will be. God says, this is my name. This is what I reveal to you. What God is showing Moses or telling him is that he is self-existent. There is no cause for him to exist. He is the great cause. He is self-existent. He is a God who stands apart, who stands alone in this way. He will not be a God that's made from anybody or any other thing. He just simply exists as he exists. You cannot make him up. And he will always be what he is. As I think about that, and I think about a book I read quite a few years ago, a guy by the name of Reg Bibby. He was a sociologist professor in um, Lethbridge, Alberta. His first book that he wrote was called Fragmented Gods. And as he surveyed the religious beliefs in Canada, he talked about how the tendency amongst Canadians was to... uh, Look at religion or faith from an a la carte kind of mindset. And you know what a la carte means, right? Like you're looking at a buffet of food and you decide, okay, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one. And Bibi says that is, for many, their approach to faith and God. They will take this aspect of God that they like, and that aspect of God, and it may not all come from the same source. So it may not come from the Bible. It may come just from something they've heard or whatever, but they they fashion, they make a God, if you will, that they like. It's comfortable. It's safe. The only thing baby says, it's not real. And so it has no power. Just like the gods of of Egypt, the idols of wood and stone, were not real and had no power. But God does. He is self-existent and he has always existed. And so as Moses had to adjust his life to this interaction with God and take off his shoes, so we, as we discover God as the self-existent God, Instead of making him into what we want to be, we adjust our lives according to who he is and according to his ways. And we live in that kind of relationship that way. Moses, uh, Moses responds to what God is saying, what God is doing here. But as God has spoken to him, and he said, Echwe, Shere, Echwe. He says to Moses then in verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Something really interesting is happening here in the original language. The word ehweh, or I am, or I will be, is changed from the first person to the second person. In other words, it would be really weird for, for Moses to go to the people of Israel and say, I am with you. Because they would be like, You're with us, Moses? You're, you're with us? So what? No, is he speaking on behalf of God? It's changed from I am to He will. And that word Ehwe now becomes the word Yahweh. Yahweh. He will. He is or he will be what he is or he will be. The self-existent God, he is. Now many of you, uh, if you've been in Christian circles for any length of time, you, you are familiar with this word. You've been reading it. In fact, this morning you sang it. Wes and I didn't talk in his song selection. Uh, you know when you sang the word hallelujah. Uh, what, what, word is, what does that mean to you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, the word we sang in praise and worship, is a compound word. The word halal means joyous praise, boasting in what? Yahweh, shortened to Yah. We were boasting in Yahweh. We were boasting in the very God that we're reading about here in Exodus chapter 3 that has revealed himself to Moses in that time. Verse 15, Exodus 3, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, you see it in capital letters there, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Wherever you see the word Lord capitalized in the scriptures, you need to understand that that's just not a general term for God. That's not just Um, God, you know, God generally, it's actually the name that God has revealed to Moses here. It's the personal name of God. See, the Jews uh, thought it so sacred, this name so sacred, that they uh, refused to verbalize it and announce it. So they used a different word called Adonai in its place, which is translated Lord, so that English translators simply use L-O-R-D, capitalized. And every time you read that, you need to be thinking, ah, that's Yahweh. That's, that's how God revealed his name to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And it stands out, Yahweh. Not master, but the personal name of God. The God who is self-existing, revealed in his name. And it also reveals this, that God is eternally consistent eternally consistent consistency is not necessarily a good thing so uh, you can go to a restaurant their food is really good they don't understand though that today coffee is an art And people spend a lot of time and have the right tools to make the right kind of coffee that tastes really, really good. And once you've acquired a taste for that really, really good coffee, it's very difficult to drink dishwater after that. And so some restaurants, their food is great, but they consistently make bad coffee. Consistently bad is not good. But as we read the scripture and as we look deeper into who God is, as his name is revealing to us, we see that God is consistently good. God is consistently good. And this is so good for us to know. So we see that as we head to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 34, if you want to flip there. So, a little backstory in between those chapters. Moses finally obeys the call. God allows Aaron, his brother, to come along with him. There's a series of miracles that reveals God's glory. Uh, They see all kinds of things happen, these plagues. Eventually, uh, Pharaoh releases Israel to be free. Uh, they go, they get trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army because he's changed his mind. Oh, God creates another miracle, allows the people of Israel to walk through dry land. Amazing miracle, God's glory revealed. They get to the other side, the waters close in. Pharaoh and his army are drowned. They get to the other side. God feeds them eventually with like bread from heaven, supernaturally. Uh, It's amazing. They gather it every morning. If they gather it for two days, it goes bad, except on the Sabbath. If they they can gather twice for the Sabbath, like it's just everything about their experience is miraculous. Then they get back to this place where God originally called Moses, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And there God meets with with Moses. He gives them his laws. But while he's doing that, the people are are committing adultery with God. So Moses smashes the, the laws. He goes down. Um, now he's going back up into a, after he's had a relationship with God he, he, meeting him at the tent and having a conversation re-securing God's promise of his presence with his people and in that conversation he says to him in, in Exodus chapter 33 we read when Moses talks about what he wants he says show me your glory Exodus 33 verse 18 All that Moses has seen he knows that there is more to God and he asks God to show him his glory and how does God reply? I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name What is that name? Yahweh the Lord capital letters And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. In revealing God's name, he's revealing his goodness to Moses. So 34, chapter 1, the Lord says to Moses, get ready. Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. I'll write on them, you know, the ones that you broke. Be ready by the morning, come up to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. This is like deja vu, we're gonna do it all over again. In verse five, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed what? God proclaimed the name of the Lord. I find this amazing. Moses had asked, God, show me your glory. I would have thought, I don't know, what would God show him? Maybe God would melt the mountain before him. Maybe God would say, okay, I'll create another universe and you can watch it happen as I I do it because I'm the great creator. Um, Maybe he would say, okay, I'm going to open your eyes like our eyes have been opened today. I'm going to allow you to see beyond Like the Hubble telescope. I'm going to allow you to see some of the constellations in the future. Or not in the future, but in the space beyond that you can't see with your naked eye. Because those things show my glory. They're like a heavenly display of my glory. And there's so many of them. They're so beautiful. I would have thought God would have done something like that in response to Moses' question. Show me your glory. But God doesn't. God says, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to proclaim my goodness. My glory will be seen in the goodness of God as revealed in my name, Yahweh, which, as we've just seen, is eternally consistent. In other words, um, what I reveal to you is who I am, who I have always been, And who I always will be. There will be no inconsistency with my goodness. Reminds me as we are going through the book of James, the verse in James chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from above. From the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. Exodus 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And listen now to the glory, the beauty of who God is in his character and nature as revealed by his name. The Lord, the Lord, when we see that God is eternally consistent, and we see that he's eternally consistent in his goodness, I want to encourage us, don't just go for what God can do for you, go for God. Go to know who he is. Go to to know and discover and go deeper with the person and character of who God is, because that's where the glory is. Thinking about this, Let's say you have a friend, and, and he has a lot of capabilities financially. So as you're with him, that friend, he can pay for you guys to have a great meal. He can pay for you to go to a great event. Let's say you love concerts or a sporting event. Yeah, he can cover all that, that and he will, because he, he just likes to have a, somebody with him. So he can always provide. He can always give you what you need. You can always experience you know, some great, awesome, to use that word, things with him. But at some point... If he is not a good person, it gets real old, real fast. And this is the thing with God. It's not not that he can't do all the stuff, because he can. He can do anything. He's all powerful, created everything, sustains everything. He can provide. He can protect. He can keep you. But I want to encourage you. Don't settle for just asking God. Don't let Him just be the kind of God that you're asking Him to bail you out when you're in trouble or when you need something. Go for knowing Him. And we know Him as we look at and explore who He is revealed in the glory of His name. The God who is merciful, the God who's gracious, the God who forgives sins, who is faithful the God who loves, the God who is just. I used to think as I looked forward to the New Testament and the place that we live in today after the cross, that the name Yahweh had, you know, it was nice, good to know these things, but you know, had no, no impact, nothing to say to us in our, our New Testament, Jesus-loving lives. I don't see it that way anymore. I see the person of Jesus. I see his name as just simply a further revelation of the God that's revealing himself to Moses here in Exodus. Jesus, we are told in John's Gospel that Jesus was the, like the radiance of, of um, God's glory. He He became flesh, He dwelt among us. We've seen His glory as the only Son from the Father. He's full of grace and truth, just like the Father was. It says in verse 18 of John 1, No one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known, speaking of Jesus. What's in the name of Jesus, you might ask? Thanks for asking. Jesus is the English translation of the Greek word, Jesus. Jesus is the Greek translation of Hebrew, which is the original language that most of the Jews would have spoken, some of them Aramaic as well. Most of them would have, have spoken Hebrew. The Greek, Jesus, is a translation of the Hebrew word, Joshua. The Hebrew word, Joshua, is a shortened form of Yehoshua, meaning Yahweh saves. The person of Jesus is a further revelation, a continuation of God himself revealed to Moses, now revealed in the flesh right before us. Not a different God, not a different mission, but the same God revealing himself to us in flesh and blood so that the God who in his grace and mercy reveals himself to Moses through Jesus Christ in his grace and mercy reveals himself to us through Jesus. The same God who saves Israel is the same God who saves us through the person of Jesus. The same God who reveals himself to Israel is the same God who reveals himself to us through Jesus. Yahweh saves the one who bears his name And reveals God in all his goodness to us that's awesome God has an awesome plan and in that plan he is eternally consistent self-existent and as we think about this we adjust our lives and we go for knowing him better We push aside everything that becomes a distraction. And as we look at Yahweh, as we look at Yahweh who saves, as we look at Jesus, we find that we're in awe. And as we experience that glory of his awesomeness, we want to help others experience that glory just as well. We just came through a series on the book of James, which was very much about what we do how we live out a real faith, and it was very much about our activity. In this series, we're going back to what causes us to do what we do. What is the source? What are we responding to in our actions? And we do that by looking again and again and again. Yahweh, self-existent, eternally consistent, good, glorious God revealed in Jesus and as we look at him again and again and again we find ourselves in awe and in awe and in awe and we can't help but want other people to become more and growing followers of Jesus so that they can experience him too. Would you pray with me? God I thank you that you've not left us to our own devices to figure you out I thank you, Lord, that it's your plan and your desire for us to know you. I thank you that you've revealed yourself in both the Old and New Testaments, Lord, and that your revelation, in a sense, gets clearer and clearer and clearer as we look more and more into your story of reconciliation and salvation, into your story of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart as we continue this journey, as we look more into your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness and your forgiveness your loving kindness your justice God cause us to be people who are transformed by looking at you from one place of glory to another in Jesus name amen